Hello, everybody. This is Doug Scott, and the following that you're going to be hearing is a first pass at me trying to describe metanoiaism. And I asked my friend Brandy Reinhardt, who is an incredible therapist and good friend, somebody I really trust. I trust her opinion and her wisdom, both uh, psychologically and spiritually. If she would listen to and engage with me in a conversation about some of my thoughts on metanoiaism. And so I recorded them here, and I hope that you enjoy me trying to articulate. You'll see that she adds a lot of thoughts too that really um, put some flesh on the bones. Thank you for your interest. God bless. When I think of meeting people in a way that can help us move towards fourth density to be able to help us cosmically connect with um, both macroly and microly, so in the person level, at the individual level, as well as the collective level, to be able to connect with our shadow sides, heal so that we can all kind of move into this fourth density consciousness. What seems to be the best thing we can do, I think, is to have a sense of a concept on how to help people do that, that is both conceptual and practical at the practice level. Yeah. Right. So the term that I've chosen to use that as I've delved into a whole bunch of philosophy and also praxis would be metanoiaism. And metanoiaism um, that comes from the word metanoia, and, and metanoia is often defined as the change of our mind, an expanding of our mind, but mind being understood as the Greeks did, which is heart-mind. In other words, the mind is in the heart, and the heart is in the mind as one unified way to perceive and process reality and live and move and have our being. And incidentally, it was used, the, that Greek word was used in the Christian scriptures, um, and it was translated as repent or convert. But repent and convert obviously have a lot of loaded meaning behind them in our culture and not necessarily helpful. So the use of metanoia, however, as understood as expanding of heart-mind, can be um, reappropriated and reclaimed, really, uh, and to see, hopefully, um, a way to move forward as practitioners in changing um, or helping to change our collective's heart-mind. Um, but, it, but before I get to that, let me just say that the way I'm understanding metanoiaism is entering into solidarity, cultivating hope, and surrendering to process. Mm. Like it's all three of those things. If you add all those, those three things up, those seem to be perennial ingredients in being able to cultivate things like metanoia. So metanoia... Um, the practice of metanoia is, as I said, enter into solidarity with others. And uh, this is just good counseling 
tactical skills anyways. But and there's a certain skill set that we can teach people. But entering into solidarity with others is sort of like the way I think of it is when that person leaves me or when I leave that person, they have a sense of being well met. They have a sense that this that Doug understands me. Um, you have a special talent for that. So you teaching that is perfect. Thanks. Um, and there's lots of different ways to do that, entering into solidarity. But but the it's because I feel like at the very root of psychopathology and also spiritual injuries, at the very root of it seems to boil down and at its most distilled version is some form of alienation, some form of, of feeling at a phenomenological level, uh, alienated, disconnected, cut off. You know, or yeah, uh, yeah, in some form, misunderstood. Yep, a lack of belonging, heart chakra. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So if you were to boil all of that down, right here at the very bottom of that would be alienation in some form, and mm-hmm. uh, solidarity, as we know from psychological research, but also just spiritual uh, common sense, is that solidarity would is very therapeutic and alleviating that sense of being alienated. You know, if Love I know, it. yeah. The next thing is, is as a practitioner, or I'm, I'm kind of a thinking of like, what could be the term for someone who practices metanoia? Well, it could be the cultivator. <laughs> so I kind of thinking as the cultivator, it might be a term, but you know, it doesn't matter. But anyways, the cultivator of metanoiaism would be someone who knows how to enter into solidarity with others, Someone then who cultivates hope in the other person's life. And culti- it really sounds like you're talking about therapists now. It is. I mean, it, this is just therapy. Uh, it's therapy. Like, this is what therapists do, right? It is. But it's also what I think a good Christian would do and a good, perhaps, Buddhist would do. And if, you know what I mean? It, it seems yeah. to me. Um, so true. Right. So cultivating hope. And but cultivating hope is, is also a skill set because we would want to help the other person um, be able to name at least one area in which they feel a larger perspective uh, that they walk away from the encounter of the cultivator of metanoia with a sense of there can be a more hopeful future and that I'm not so bound up or tied up in the present moment. Right. And so that's a specific skill set. Um, right. Which that, is like yeah. teaching people life circumstances are always fluctuating and changing. They're not stuck in anything forever. Emotions are ebbing and flowing and changing and transforming. Um, it's interesting that you put cultivate hope in their lives. So you're saying they would cultivate hope in other people's lives or in their own life? The the person that I'm envisioning here as a cultivator of metanoia, in other words, a practitioner of metanoiaism, would be somebody who knew how to cultivate hope in other people's lives. Okay. Of course, they also have done this themselves. They're doing this themselves. You know, these are bodhisattvas. Cultivating hope um, cosmologically or metaphysically, I'm pulling upon the, the idea of the law of three, um, where there's affirming force, a denying force, and then a reconciling force. 
Um, and so when anybody is in a, the grind of their life where they feel like there's two paradoxes that cannot come, mm-hmm. you cannot get away from that glaring paradox here, then that is when the law of three would state there is always a nascent reconciling force that that we can midwife, we can deliver into actualization. We just have to learn how to um, open our eyes to that seed of the reconciling force. And so the cultivator of metanoia or the, the practitioner would, would know, would be a third force midwife, would be looking and, and listening for that third force that, and then, in, in lit, and then enlist the help of the person we're, we're trying to serve as uh, empower them to also midwife this third force. Yeah. Right. That's hope. I like, and I think that's for that process. I think it's important, the order of it, because I think mm-hmm. solidarity includes compassion and understanding. Yep. Because people will be closed off to the third force until someone has compassionately really seen their life and their experience from the way that they are living it. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I think. It has to kind of go through that order. It's, and, mm-hmm. and there's a whole skill set. I mean, there, volumes have been written on how to enter into solidarity with someone. Right. Um, and then cultivating hope is also a skill set, as you know. So what I'm trying to do is, is give like the simple but not easy distilled outline of what a practitioner metanoia would do. So the third thing is, is again, skill set involved is this surrender into process. And I chose the word surrender on purpose because that um, from the traditional, the perennial tradition, it talks about kenosis. Kenosis means self-emptying. Surrender is this idea of a high level ability to, to realize that not only does the infinite creator God, uh, experience God's self through the a process, you know, so process, right. philosophy, process, theology, uh, but also that's the way everything is. And that metanoia itself is a term, noia meaning heart mind and meta meaning ever expanding. See, so taken together, it, it's actually both a noun and a verb. Metanoia is a noun and a verb that signifies process. Yeah. And and we have to surrender into that. So we have to surrender into the fact that the other person that we're helping is always in process of greater metanoia. Um, and that we are in the process. And the whole thing is about God experiencing God's self through us, who's also in process. There's nothing else outside of process. And lastly, I'd like to say, um, let me see what here. Uh, yeah, we'll get to that. Metanoia um, has a telos, and telos meaning the end. What is the end to- of metanoia? The, there's, there's a movement towards something. Even though there's a process, and there's never not a process, there's a process towards something. And that process towards something, the telos, would be ever greater unit of consciousness or ever greater sense of union and unity. And so we could see as ever greater divinity, right? Exactly. Um, So from a traditional standpoint, it would be 
what's often called theosis or divinization, where there's ever greater sense of movement into full divinity. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though full divinity that you never arrive, <laughs> it's always a process. Yeah. Now, the hermeneutic. Why don't you talk about the side effects, though, of the process? It's a side effect would be feeling appreciative, gratitude, clarity, discernment, um, empathy, self-awareness, belonging, joy, compatibility, um, calmness, empowerment, independence, um, a sense of yourself passionate rooted like those would be every chakra that's every right like every chakra um that you're transitioning from you're you're transitioning to a a more steady experience of those states of being i I love what you're saying because you're saying that um the states actually solidify into stages uh and so it becomes a permanent ground and and so it's a it's a movement up and then a catch and then a movement up and then catch Mm -hmm. because some of those states of being you as you move through the process uh with someone else um you reach a stage where you're experiencing those components like those emotions those sense states of being a little more consistently whereas i don't know like the growing up process and the tortured process like if you move into the metanoia i think on a regular basis and you're cultivating that within and without like the side effect is all the stuff that we really want in our life if that makes sense all right this is why i'm talking to you because this is a beautiful thing i haven't even thought about yet into what are the um, results, you know, which is really God's own delight and joy experienced in and through us as our own growth and delight and joy and all the things that you named. Beautiful, beautiful. I think it'd be cool to name like the side effects of like each chakra, a deeper, more profound sense of meaning in one's life, a deeper sense of joy, a deeper sense of acceptance and gratitude and belonging as a part of the universe as a, as you know as a part of this whole process and so you just start to experience that more regularly because sometimes you have to tell people like why would I want to do this like it sounds great I the religious part of me says yes this is how I should be but what is the point well said yeah uh, <laughs> I, I think that's that's fantastic um, let, we'll circle back to that. Um, the other part, there are a couple other things too about metanoiaism as it's, I'm just conceptualizing it, is that there's a hermeneutic. We all have a hermeneutic and the hermeneutic is, is refers to the bias or interpretive lens through which we engage something. And so the hermeneutic of metanoia, like we all, all of us, no matter what we have is a bias. So in the Enneagram, for example, we would say, Often a type six would view the world um, a certain type sixy kind of way, and the type two like un- unsafe. Uh huh. Yeah, type six would see the world maybe as that's their hermeneutic, even though they wouldn't know that until they become aware of it. <laughs> um, that's the hermeneutic. So I'm trying to be up and f- up front and centered on what is the hermeneutic of metanoism, 
And I would, this is uh, something that I'm coming up with right now. I'm not sure if it's even the best words, but I'm calling it a hermeneutics of conspiracy of wholeness. And here's what I mean by that, because uh, conspiracy is a loaded word. It really is a loaded word. And because I'm also introducing metanoiaism at a time in our culture where uh, many people, especially in and around the disclosure movements, but also in other areas, there's always this sense of conspiracy and conspiracy theories and all of this. So I'm, I'm intentionally using the word conspiracy, but I'm going to tweak it because what I'm saying in conspiracy is that uh, using it as the conventional sense, conspiracy means that there's something hidden that's actually affecting something like the hidden hand that's affecting all of what we think is reality. And what I'm saying is, okay, if you want to define conspiracy as that way, I agree. And what that is, is wholeness. That wholeness is actually coming into our ethos of separation. In third density here, in our understanding of reality, we feel such a diff uh, that the world is separate. I'm separate from you. And there's, oh, okay. there's all kinds all right. of things separate. There's evil things. There's good things. All of this stuff. I'm not saying that dualistic thinking is wrong. I'm just saying that that, that is certainly um, our experience of reality. But the conspiracy here is that the whole thing, all of our dualism or all of our struggles, conflicts are actually in the service of helping us become more integrated and whole within ourselves, the intrapersonal, but also the interpersonal, intercommunitarian levels, too, of the struggles uh, actually are the foundation, the, the third force, um, you know, sorry, the law of three moving towards that reconciling force into greater and greater wholeness. Because it is true that there is a transcendent reality that's already existing that's whole, more holistic than the one that we are even experiencing. You know? So a conspiracy of wholeness would say, yeah, there's a conspiracy and disclosure belongs inside that. Uh, because it's all moving into a greater wholeness. But the second thing I want to say about conspiracy is that it actually comes from the word breathing with. It's Latin for spire is breathing and con is with. So conspiracy is that we're breathing with. We can, Why even go into the hermeneutic conspiracy of wholeness with regard to uh, uh, the practical application of this? spiritual practice what is it are you referring to they need to know their own bias or they need like i guess my brain's a little lost on this sure particular. yeah I, I probably wasn't very clear about it it's because um if i'm a if i'm practicing metanoiaism for example or if i'm a good therapist you know i'm gonna try to have my view on the person that i'm caring for not from a hermeneutic of listening to what the secret agenda is or not from a hermeneutic of, you know, the bias towards um, all, all the ways they're screwing up or pathological, you know, uh, oh, okay. uh, uh, and not from a hermeneutic of suspicion. You know, I'm actually going to approach them from a hermeneutic of wholeness, uh, of connection. Okay. 
So that, uh, I think describe it in that way, just, I mean, maybe the people in Wild One who are deeply philosophical will get it, but if you're trying to break it down for someone who's not used to philosophy, I mean, give them, like, Mm -hmm. what you just explained to me. Yeah, yeah, that, okay, thank you. Um, I only have a couple more things. Uh, And then epistemology refers to how do we know what we know? Like, how do we know what we know? Because people can understand their reality using information, and that information is their epistemological um, source, sources, you know? So oftentimes we have ways in which we're epistemologically flawed or we're only getting our sources from one area because that's, quote, the one only one we trust. But I think someone who's practicing metanoiaism has epistemology of humility in that even though I may be bold about what I think I know, I'm also holding as true. There's a whole lot of unknown there too. Well, not only that, but I mean, they, they, like if you think about the wiser you are, the less you know. Yeah. Or, or that statement. You are, the less you understand. That's right. Or the statement of uh, I know that I don't know. <laughs> One thing I know is that I don't know. And I don't know what I know. Or don't, I'm sorry, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> um, so that's an epistemology of humility. And then the other thing is an epistemology of plurality. Multi-perspectival. Can I understand things at different angles um, and be okay with them sometimes competing with each other? The, the different epistemologies. Can I, can I hold all of this complexity together and say that there's, there's, an, there's how about the intradimensional, you know, people who channel, can that be one way that I understand reality? Uh, can different states of consciousness, psychedelics and whatnot, can that be one way? Can I understand it from a science way? I don't have to throw out everything. I can come up with a sense of multi-perspectival way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, then, and also, um, it's just like people come from the state of their own consciousness and their their own bias, just like you said. But I think the multi-perspective is not just like what I know from my own life experience, but what other people, other people's life experiences and other people's, um, and more than ever with the internet and just the ability to log online and get thousands of people's information uh, becomes more achievable than everything. Well, yes. And, and also, as you and I both know that the Enneagram can even be helpful with that too, uh, because I know that me as a two and you as a six at the start of our you know, journeys, whatever, would perceive reality in different ways. And can I appreciate someone else's reality, even if it's not inherent in me, you know? So just the last thing is, is that metanoia um, is actually in lots of different spiritual religions, but one of them would be from the Christian scripture, Romans 12, uh, verse 2, is be transformed by renewal of your mind, Paul says. So that would be um, actually the definition, the biblical definition of metanoia is continue, a process of being transformed by renewing our mind, you know, all the time. And mind is like heart mind, the noose. 
So I think ultimately it's cultivating a spirituality of process and growth towards greater union and unity. That's that telos I was talking about. And the way I conceive of it um, in terms of graphics would be like over here on the left side, I have this yin and yang. It's the silver and gold yin and yang. And I have the gold is the heart and the mind would be the silver. And together they create what the Greeks knew of as the nos, or the noose, which is the heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then lastly, you have over here the meta. So the noia part is the nose, the heart mind, and meta would be the ever expanding. So you can get a sense of the ex expanding concentric rings that move out, uh, yeah, in a kind of holoarchy, not hierarchy, but holoarchy. So, anyways, I mean, that's kind of just some ideas that I have thrown out as what metanoiaism looks like. Um, and it's kind of my way of understanding. Uh, my own work, but also how we might be able to conceptualize uh, a, an approach to spirituality or an approach to pract pract practical approaches to spirituality, let's say, that could yeah. be efficacious, informed by things like counseling and all that stuff.